Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. Femba can go to hell. Topical talk, outspoken opinion and inspirational conversation on the hour of badass power. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators but no one compares. Minter, Campbell and Sexton are your all new Saturday night super squad. Badass Women's Hour on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. One, two, three, four. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass. My name's Harriet Minter. I'm here on Talk Radio with my fabulous co-hosts, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. Emma, how has your week been? It's been a bit up and down. I'm not going to lie. I've had a bit of an emotional week this week and it kind of coincides with that, the whole mental health day yesterday. But I had a bit of a meltdown on Wednesday. I'm not oh, going to lie. I went home and had a cry and wallowed for a bit. But I feel fine today. Was there something that triggered it? Or I, did you just have Yeah, I think it's big beginning of the year and I've just put way too much pressure on myself. I think that's really common. I've had lots of conversations yeah. this week with people that are like, thank God January is over yeah. and I can behave like a normal yeah. human being. And everything's again. getting back in the swing of things. But yeah, I've been, yeah, not my usual self, but you know, I'm just being kind to myself and I feel much, much better today. Thanks. Oh, tell him, well, welcome to the safe space. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> if well, I, well, I have didn't fun. have to sit in front of the mic, I, I want to give you a hug. I, do you know what? I really could have done with some man hugs this week. This is when I'd just like to come home to some lovely man to give me a big hug oh. and maybe make me some tea. But I'm all right today. Like, it's fine. Well, you look fly. <laughs> Thanks. You look so <laughs> Emma is wearing this amazing, really bright lipstick today, and it's like right in front of me. It's all I can look at. Nat, how are you today, Madeleine? I'm good. It, it's been one of those weeks where all of the different bits of my life have come together. So I was in a, a meeting with the mayor. I've just been appointed to one of his boards, and then I was at a private event with the Secretary of State last night. And then someone tapped me on my shoulder and was like, uh, "The Secretary of State would like a word with you." That's and I was amazing. like, "What did I do now? Who did I mouth <laughs> off to? Who?" Sent, who did I send an email to that's like this woman has lost the plot and he needs to tell her off and the people I was with they were like did you do something wrong and I was like I don't know and it was basically I really didn't know because I do send people mouthy emails all the time I did badass principal so it was just that mix of spending part of my weekend in gym kit and sweating with these women that I didn't know and then hanging with the minister and it was a mental week just remind us what is badass principal so the Badass Principle is my gym class for the mind and soul. We mix fitness and mental well-being to support women to find their most badass self. And if you haven't been, it is really awesome and I recommend it. Thanks, lady. Yeah, it's really good. So as ever, we're going to start with a little rundown of the news stories that have been grabbing our attention this week and making us think. Um, first up, we're talking about the Old Girls Network. What is that now? So you know that this is a story that I would have covered. Um, I found the, the version that was in the Mail Online and it's our version, it's the female version of taking on what was the Old Boys Network. So bringing groups of, of high profile or women in leadership together to basically be their own membership club. Similar to Flock, uh, Flock is, is, is men and women and Flock is, is the network that Emma runs. But it's um, a, a group of women like I said, um, Joy Lodico is, is one of them. She runs the Trouble Club and they charge members between 2000 and £4,000 to, to, to sort of be in a room and, and have dinners and 
get together and have various experiences that enable them to continue with their, their lives and, and, and their work, similar to what men have done at these private places for years. So is it women just recreating the old boys clubs? It is, yes. Um, and have we not been like protesting against those for years? Are we taking on the worst traits that we haven't really loved in men? I don't think so. So again, the article goes on to talk about the merits of, of both sides and it's both the, the spatial being together, but also the where do you go after a hard week at work to just download and be yourself. And what women find, and I definitely find this, when, you get, when you're in environments where there are less women and, and more men, you don't automatically relax in the same way. But if you're in a safe space of other women and other women that you know or in leadership positions or in similar industries, it's a lot easier to just relax and let your guard down and say, this went wrong, or, and have those conversations that enable you to get out of your head. Yeah, I think there's still a place for, you know, I know we knocked the old boys club, and I think that's because traditionally they've been um, very insular and then there's been a sexism in the workplace. But I think now with the women having our kind of like, I guess I call them girl gangs, mm. like, you know, we've got an incredible network of women that we all work with. I think as human beings, you do want to be around your your tribe your tribe of people people that and I think my tribe my girl gang is not just about them being women it's actually about their mindset Mm. as well and do you think because your if we call it your gang is flock which is men and women but it's aimed at those in the startup community who are running their own businesses and there's a story this week about how more women are setting up and doing it for themselves is that a trend you've noticed yes I certainly noticed this a few years ago and there much of the catalyst was the kind of a lot of women were kind of being kept out of work so they might leave to have children on maternity leave they'd come back their role wasn't there they could only do it part-time businesses just did not embrace women in this kind of you know non sort of nine to five schedules so they started creating their own businesses and I think also women kind of just opted out because the male work environment it's very masculine in terms of values the whole you know you start looking up sort of seniority and where your career progression is and you're like actually do I even do I even want that Mm. and quite often women don't they want to do something that's got a little bit more purpose um you know they want to be more collaborative and work with other people and have a bit of a different impact on the world I think what point were you in your career when you decided to leave the corporate structure I know you obviously in the creative industry and make that shift yeah so my next career progression was getting to board level now I've never wanted children so that was never an option for me but I was certainly like this structure doesn't work for me I want freedom I want autonomy and I want to do a business that has purpose and that I can do the things that really make me feel excited about the world but do them on my terms when I want anywhere in the world basically and then when did you realize that the network and the old girls network was important I think I realised that when I launched my business because I'd always been a networker but I hadn't realised that because networking to me was very boring and very dry Mm. but what I realised is I just made great friendships with people and had coffees and then been generous in terms of like sharing opportunities. I'm very much like I just want utopia I just want everybody to be successful so I'd always like go oh well you should speak to that person and all those people really helped me in those first year of business like massively. And I think um, that kind of, I love your idea. So Emma always wants Utopia and I love that. It's one of the things I love most about you because you want an equal playing ground to bring everyone up with you, which I absolutely love. Um, So our second story this week uh, came from the British Medical Association. So every year they release a document with the correct terms and how to talk to patients and things you should know if you're a doctor today. And one of the things they've released that's caused a bit of controversy is they're asking doctors to think about when they use the term expectant mothers and instead start thinking about perhaps when they should be using the term pregnant people. And so I first heard this um, earlier this week, and I was like, why why are we using the term pregnant people? I didn't really understand where it had come from. And it's come from actually the trans community, where trans men who still have the reproductive organs they were born with, so women who have transitioned into becoming men, but still have female reproductive organs, can have children. And so when they do... They're finding the term expectant mothers maybe kind of not correct for their situation. Um, and I was listening to it and I was like, well, I, d- I don't know how I feel about this because, you know, motherhood is a very female thing. But I have come down on the side of being all up for it. And I think we should be talking about pregnant people all the time for everyone. Because the thing that most annoys me about pregnancy, children, childcare is that it's only ever seen as a female issue. 
Maybe if we started talking about pregnant people, we'd get dads involved at an earlier stage. Emma, you're nodding. Do you agree? Yes. I, well, I think for a long time, the, the gender conversation I've kind of struggled with. I have a, a concept called a hetero approach, which is about a new business culture where I talk about masculine and feminine values. And I didn't really realise the transgender piece until I did a talk about that. And I said that the reason I want to talk about values is that I wanted people to be able to be themselves and even as a woman I play within the feminine and the masculine and I said and also what happens if you are a trans person where do you sit when we keep talking about male and female and I had somebody email me after that talk and say thank you so much for talking about the trans community because they never get mentioned they never get acknowledged so for me that started to be a thing where I'm like we can no longer talk about gender we can talk about masculine and feminine and we should be talking about parenting and yeah so I'm right there and with you. And men having babies right because it takes two to make a baby. Absolutely. So I really love this idea that we are talking about men having babies and making it a reality for their life as well. Nat, See, I have a, I agree and I hear what, what you're saying and from a, um, a, a, a functional place I, I'm there. From a philosophical place I have a challenge with what I feel is a narrative to ignore this celebration of being a woman, womanhood and the term woman. So, you know, five, ten years ago, it was all about man. Man, masculine, male characteristics. We are now, I feel, in an era where it's amazing to, to shout about being a woman and what womanhood is and what sisterhood is. But there's a conversation now around just include everyone. And because you don't want to exclude anyone, <clears throat> let's remove gender. Let's remove woman and, and womanhood and sister. And going back to that conversation we had a couple of weeks ago about the march, not being able to use the term pussy because it offends other. Uh, well, it offends people that don't have them. And I'm like, no. I want to claim, give me a moment in time to claim my womanhood, to claim my woman. Do not take it away from me because I haven't had it for that long. So what you're saying is that you think that actually, and this is quite an interesting point, which is that actually by taking the word mother or woman or female out of something, it's just another way of kind of just being like, oh yeah, women are things that we don't really, we're just not as interested in. Well, you're just removing. You're you're removing, so it's... I. I, I see it visually. You're removing the essence of what is a very special time for a lot of people. But then are we? Because I think my feminism is actually less about gender. It's more about society valuing femininity mm-hmm. and, you know, men and women allowing to be, fe- you know, express their femininity and that to be valued just as much as masculinity. So if we go straight to femininity, I kind of feel like we're still involving womanhood. I do. I do agree but I, there is something very specific for me about being a woman and yeah. celebrating my womanhood and my womaninity. And I don't want to lose that. Just quickly, I don't know if you guys saw the uh, the conversation about removing women from the Equalities Committee. Yes, I did see How that. How do you feel about that? I uh, Yes, and I agree. And so, and, But that, I think, is a slightly different issue, which is the reason that we have women as a word there is because women still do not have equal status. Mm-hmm. And so I think people need to be reminded of that the whole time. That's actually my... When people say they don't like the word feminist because it has femme in it, I'm like, well, yes, but that's because we still need to remind people that actually it's not about bringing men down to our level, it's about bringing women up. Um, So we are heading towards a break, but in the next section, we're going to be talking about single life and why it rocks. Because it does, doesn't it, ladies, most of the time? Uh, Yeah, apart from Wednesday. Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll be back explaining the good and the bad of single life. And we'll also have activist and campaigner Nimco Ali here talking about FGM and um, why she really believes that we need to say what we think. Back here on Talk Radio. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. On Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome back to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And joining us as well today, we have the lovely campaigner and activist Nimco Ali. Hi Nimco, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you. So before the break, we were talking about news stories that have really caught our eye. And Emma, you have one on single life. I do. It says, long-term singles make perfect partners study show 
and I absolutely agree with that I think as a I think there's a lot of people who really struggle to be single but I just find being single actually apart from Wednesdays the most like (laughs) the most luxurious thing in the whole world like to be able to just yeah but isn't that actually the definition of what makes a bad partner because surely if we love being by ourselves and we love all that kind of time we have and all our freedom do we want to be with somebody like that I disagree I think the beauty of being single is that you get to spend time getting to know yourself yeah and again back to the philosophical side of things you get to think about how you feel what you want to do and especially when life gets really busy not having to think oh my god I have to think about this other person too and what they want for dinner or what they want to do this weekend or going to spend time with family or their family and friends I actually don't really like all of that when I listen to my friends struggling with these dilemmas of spending time with people I'm like I do not have to think about that I know I I do what I want with who I want when I want compromise I I just don't think I can compromise but isn't that the point Ellen if you can't compromise are you going to be good in a relationship or do you need somebody who can own compromise so it's Emma's way or the highway well where I'm at in my life (laughs) is that I would like the man that I meet to redesign what a a relationship could be and Mm. I want them to have just a busy life and I have no problems with that person going okay I'm going off for six months because I want to go and do this thing in Asia okay bye I'll see you see you soon Mm -hmm. like I just think we're here once you should live your life the way that you want to live it and you know you work out a different and yeah. also, what do they mean by long-term single? Because I have a thing where I've been, I mean, technically, like, not in a big relationship for about five years now, six years. Um, and actually, I feel like if I go on a date with somebody and they're like, when was your last relationship? And I'm like, oh, six years ago. That that kind of reflects badly on me. does get a bit judgy, doesn't me. it? Yeah. This, this study is 10 years. Okay, that's, wow. cool. that's okay. Yeah. But I've wow. got time. It's okay. It's okay. So you're fine. Nimco, <laughs> are you single at the moment? Um, yes, I am a very single. I'm very celibate at the moment because I have a weird thing that a lot of my um, feminists and lovely friends didn't understand is that I just used to date Tory white men. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because I like. How did that work out for it you? It worked out quite well because the whole thing is they didn't necessarily have any issues. So it's I like my men with privilege. <laughs> As a campaigner and an activist and someone that's quite angry fighting all the time, I like to come home to somebody's biggest issue was I couldn't get a seat on the tube. <laughs> Amazing. But um, but at the moment, um, post-Brexit, they really irritate me and their privilege is, makes, makes them seem so ignorant to a lot of the things that a lot of people that I love are going through. So I've just kind of become a nun. You're cutting them off. I'm cutting them off. I'm cutting them off. No access here until we are all truly equal. Exactly. And you understand that. Yes, or till we've brexited like you know, in a very effective way, or till we've just actually stopped all the like you know rubbish that's currently going on at the moment, which it's really really heartbreaking. I think one of the things is that I'm lucky enough and I'm privileged enough not to be necessarily affected on an impactful level by the racism and the xenophobia and a lot of the horrible things that are happening. But I have a sister that wears a headscarf. I have a mother that speaks with an accent. My family were refugees, so there's a lot of these things that a lot of people are very flippant about, which are very personal. And growing up, you do encounter racism you do encounter these things but you always kind of tolerated that and now it's got to the point where I'm really tired of trying to tell you that Muslim people are not all terrorists I'm really tired of telling you that all black women are not angry so all those things so I like being single now and celibate and just watching Netflix <laughs> but do you think is there a, an enlightened man out there who could tempt you back into dating life I have no idea because <laughs> I've literally stopped looking I was it was the weird thing I might tweet it later but I was on the tube last night and there was a carriage full of men and I just thought I don't care. So it's so it's that whole kind of point of actually I'm not necessarily dead inside. <laughs> I'm just closed for business right now. I feel like the Remain campaign really missed a marketing trick with this. <laughs> and I think actually that's a really lovely point you make, which is that is that moment as a single person where you have a, everyone sort of tells you you should be looking for a relationship and you should want to be with someone, and you have a moment where you're like, actually it's really not. I really like my life. It is really nice. Nat, do you find that? I do. I I think we also need to go back to the idea that relationships have changed. So you said you've been long-term single and your last proper, I can't remember the word you used, but substantial big relationship was five, six years ago. But actually, there's nothing wrong with having some really short-term, two-month relationships that may have given you more than that long-term relationship. And 
apps revolutionized a lot and what i value now is those shorter interactions those six week relationships that i had that were brilliant and fun and i saw the signs of them being rubbish a lot sooner than i would have when i was younger and called it a day yeah but i had a great time for the time that i was in it and i think that's a really important point there which is actually being able to recognize that and that's god that's age isn't yeah. it have to make the mistakes first. Age and wisdom. Oh, I'm so wise now. <laughs> so wise. So, Nicola, we actually got you in today because there is a very important day coming up next week that we wanted to talk about and celebrate, and that is the 6th of February, which is the International Day of Zero Tolerance for Female Genital Mutilation. And this is your kind of area that you campaign and are an activist on. So can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you came into it? Um, yeah, so basically I had FGM when I was seven years old and I was on holiday at the time in um, East East Africa. And so it was a, it's, it's been a very personal kind of um, conversation with me. And um, the reason why I started campaigning was that for a long time, girls that looked like me were talked at and talked about. And I had several experiences in, in my life which kind of... Um, changed the way that I saw the world so for example um, I had FGM and that was like as painful as the physical act was I think the dismissal of my experience of my conversations was something that I really found really weird um, and I so I had an invasive form of FGM which is type 3 and in when I was 11 years old I had a defibrillation so because I was I had kidney failure almost kidney failure and it was I think it was those kind of so FGM itself was the first time that I realized I was a girl because within my family and within the way that I was raised there wasn't any difference in the ways that my uncles who were around the similar age to me or my cousins who were boys and I were treated so it was a very kind of free um, free family in that kind of context but then the idea of FGM happening and nobody giving me any reason or explanation outside of the fact that this is going to make you a woman was something that was really confusing to me so that's the first time I actually really came into contact within my uh, with, with my gender and then um, coming back and searching for answers was really where I really found the pain and the dismissal of my own kind of experience um, so when I had this defibrillation so ironically the defibrillation and another thing which kind of led to the campaigning and why I wanted to do how um, um, how we did was that I went to a major hospital in Cardiff um, and it's one of those things. It's like nobody really asks, like, why is this child coming into this hospital in the situation she is? I was just sent back home. And I had a very loving family in the context of outside of FGM. I was very kind of freely educated. There was no religious chastisation or um, forced to be who I should be or whatever. So I just kind of got on with life. And... Um, Growing up, I just assumed that everybody would see FGM as the form of violence against women and girls as, as it was because I ended up reading and finding that actually it was because of the fact that as a girl, unless I knew the pain of going, like, you know, being free, then I would, like, you know, I would not have had this. So I just carried on. And then it was in 2006 when I was asked to go to a local um, school in Bristol where I came face to face really with how, how complicit my silence was to the misunderstanding of FGM. And there were these girls who were really loud and very, um, really energetic. And I was intimidated by how streetwise they were because, um, again, coming back to that, my dating white Tory thing, I grew up with a lot of those. So I was very timid in terms of those kind of conversations. And um, like there was 14 girls and out of these 14, 13 of them had FGM. And I was 22 at the time. And I and I also knew what had happened to girls that campaigned. So I campaigned in a very stealth kind of way of having a conversation in a third person because I also wasn't ready to tell people that this person that was very much British and very much part of everything else has also been um, part of the 2 million women, two, um, 200 million women that have undergone FGM. But um, I first, the first person actually I told that I had FGM was a young Somali girl that I met in London. And um, a lot of people were talking about FGM FGM, but not necessarily talking about the different types and the experiences. And this girl had type 3 FGM like I did. And nobody had, she'd never met anybody like her. And she had all these questions about her body and her anatomy. And I thought, I could literally sit here and watch her break down and keep telling her that everything's going to be okay. Or I can um, contextualise that and tell her, I know it's going to be okay because I've been exactly in that same situation that, that you've been. So that was kind of the push and the 2010 um, elections with the um, with the coalition government ca- um, coming in was kind of my um, ca- um, caveat to kind of say, I really want to do something because I know the Labour Party is now going to be out of power and to use people that didn't necessarily engage with my community or my population, but could really care. And they did. And I'm, I'm so grateful for people like Lynn Featherstone and Justine Green and also David Cameron for 
being very committed to protecting vaginas. And <laughs> so important. <laughs> yes. Um, and they did, they really changed the legislation and they, you know, committed to it and went for it. Do you think, I mean, it's obviously a positive thing, but is there, there's still more we should be doing, right? Is there's more to raise awareness and are we doing enough around that? Um, I think there is more awareness and I think it was changing the calm conversation. So we talked a lot about, FG, like, you know, eradicating FGM as though it was some kind of virus. FGM is an organised crime against the gender and for me it was about ending it and putting that into the context of violence against women and girls and then child abuse. And I think we have a lot of awareness, but it's, I'm really passionate about SRE and sexual relationship education. So I think that's the only way that we can really engage with young people. I I don't necessarily want to, no, not necessarily actually, I definitely don't want to end FGM without ending other forms of gender-based violence and I've been very committed to that. So for me, um, FGM happens to girls because they are female and because they're seen as, as, um, as, as inferior. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So there's domestic abuse, so there's rape. So it's putting it into that context of saying that we need to empower young people and we need to empower um, men as well. And it's really weird. So um, on the 31st of um, January, so um, in, to, in 2014, I randomly found myself on, on the cover of The Times and that was a really game-changing moment. But then three weeks later, there was somebody trying to kill me for talking about my own experience and talking about FGM. And that shows you how valuable FGM and keeping women down is to some people is the fact that if we sit here today like you know um, two white women and two women of colour engaging and understanding that FGM comes from the same patriarchal context as rape or domestic abuse all these things that means that we connect and we can actually really do something against the patriarchal um, Can I ask where does your fight come from because just listening to your story as you've evolved as an activist and campaigner and sort of started to expand your what you campaign for, I can imagine it gets very tiring. Yeah. So how do you find that resilience and that grit to get up and fight again? If someone, you know, someone is abusive to you, yeah. how do you get up the next day and say, I'm still going to continue to fight? Um, I wish I could say that I wanted to do all the work that I did because I was passionate, I wanted to change the world, but I just felt really guilty. I think it was seeing those girls and looking at them and thinking actually I could have done something so it was guilt that really um, drove me and one of the things that I was recently talking about was that one of the key things that I lost was the relationship with, with my mother at the time of the campaigning because she wasn't she, her, for her actually I think it was throwing a lot back in her face mm. because of the fact that she, like you know FGM happened and she had no um, control over that but she tried to give me everything else in so many other ways but I just thought okay I'm going to put aside my degrees I'm going to put aside being like in you know, my career and everything else and talk about something that I, I can't undo but I can like, you know, support other girls so guilt is what really drove me and also the hope I had this hope that 
like you know I had faith in my fellow sisters and I have faith in other people that were around that we would get to that point where we could sit around and talk about FGM and I don't necessarily have to hide or all these other kind of conversations but today is it guilt or is it something it, um, it must have evolved into a different feeling the thing that you get up for in the morning is um, that the hope it is actually it is hope so I've just so for me my kind of conversation has gone in a different way because I went back to where I was born in May for the first time and then I went back in December and within we're within Somaliland where I'm from in Hergesa there are like you know there is a lot of heartache but there's also hope and it is that hope of that there is a lot of generation of young women that are so feisty and so fierce that I want to empower them and have those kind of conversations and I think the guilt has eased but then at the same time the fact that I was I've been immensely privileged in to be who I am and to say the things um, I can say mm. and it's really weird because I grew up in a, I spoke to some young Somali um, teenagers the other day and I said I grew up in a, in a, in a, in a world in the 1990s where actually it was quite tokenistic to see a really smart, um, educated, young, like, you know, um, East African child and all, all these other kind of things. So I wasn't, like, my religion wasn't scrutinised, my, fa- uh, my face wasn't, like, you know, the face of fear and all these other kind of things. So it's a lot harder for teenagers today and and I'm immensely aware of that. So I do know that a lot of the things that I do is because I can mm-hmm. and I should. So, yeah. Thank you. And I think that wisdom and hope really pause out of you so thank you very much for sharing with us and we're going to be milking Nimco for some more of her wisdom in our next section as we will be coming back in section three with our badass balls ups your problems and we will be solving them with our combined 100 years of mistakes failures lessons learned and other things we hope you don't repeat as well so join me harriet minter and the badass women's hour here on talk radio Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions you can muster and a whole load of badass. My name's Harriet Minter. I'm here with my co-hosts Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell on Talk Radio. And we are going into looking at our badass balls up. So the mistakes you've made and how we can help you with them. This week, we are joined by the amazing Nimco Ali, who's also been going to be giving her advice and wisdom. Nat, you've got our first question for this week. What is it? I do. So this one was emailed over to me, um, and I'll, I'll share it, and I hope uh, you're listening. So the question was, how do you start looking for your dream job without having to retrain or take a drop in salary? So this is a cake and eat it kind of question. So I get this a lot. People ask me about this a lot. And I always say that I don't think unless you're off to do something really, really specialised. So if you have been um, doing an average job and then you suddenly decide you want to be a doctor, yes, please go train as a doctor. Take the salary cut, spend many years learning because I don't want you operating on me off the back of Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Like for most other jobs, actually, you don't need that much training. Most of the skills that you've acquired you can shift across. You're just doing them in a different manner, in a different industry. Yeah, it's just articulating it in a different way, isn't it? It's how you package up and sell yourself. I mean, I I think the way I did it is I took a job where I worked four days a week. So I had one day a week to kind of develop my business and get that going and start to have conversations. And, And I did a few side projects. But I think looking back now, a lot of that was just lack of confidence. And if I'd have just got some savings and just gone all in very early on, I think... You know, you just sort of, there's nothing like that fear of not making money to motivate you to know what you're doing and, you know, set your direction. I so think. I pondered it for a while and I thought, actually, use the resources that are out there. So if pe- most people are really difficult at thinking, what, you know, what are my skills and what am I great at? So go and sit down with a recruitment consultant who specializes in just listening to you say stuff and will say, right, so you can do this, 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 and this, the good ones. Yeah, I'd and- be very careful with recruitment consultants because yeah. a lot of them are not that good. Well, yeah, so, you know, go to, go to a reputable one. And the ones that I've worked with over the years for my board positions, they really, they can say, right, so you love doing this and your skills are this. Um, or sit down with a friend and just list all of your key skills and think about the career that you're trying to move into. How can you match those skills into this new career? But you have to be really, really clear because at some point you're going to have to sit down in front of someone and sell yourself to them. And if you can't connect and have that conversation, that's going to be a challenge. If you want to start a business, though, I'm with you. I'm like, just start. Just do it. And I also think, actually, if you want to move into a different industry, the other thing that I did at one point was I um, basically... 
identified the key companies in that industry and then stalked people on LinkedIn who worked for those companies mm. until I found somebody who had a similar background to me. So we'd actually grown up in the same area and we'd been to the same primary school nice. a very long time ago. And I used that as a jumping off point to email them and be like, look, we went to the same primary school, not at the same time. You have no idea who I am. It doesn't matter. <laughs> we went to the same primary school. You work in an industry I'm really, really excited by. Is there any way I could buy you a coffee and just ask you some questions about yeah. it? bit of research. I mean, we're doing that with our business. We're going into a slightly different industry that we've been doing some work for. And that's not necessarily my area of expertise. So I'm just going to really research, talk to people, have conversations and then, you know, but have the confidence that I know in that space we can deliver. Does it go back to our com- com- uh, earlier on this show? We were talking about old girl networks yeah. and sort of people getting together and working together and being more collaborative. And I think that might be a, a jumping off point. Start building your networks in the industry you want to get into to help you transition over and I was, I was also going to say because I, um, I think within this kind of freelancing world I think a lot of my friends want to leave their jobs and kind of um, do things but one of the things I would say is stop looking at financial um, rewards and start looking at happiness mm. and I think it's easier to go into a job if you're happy about it because you could be making like you know 80 grand or whatever but you could go down to 30 or 25 and because you're passionate about going into work and it's the same thing that I say too because a similar question when a lot of young people say about university I say study something you love because like four years is a long time to study something your mum wanted you to study (laughs) and that's like four years that's quite consuming so I think um, a little bit of like you know self-care and saying actually do you know what do I want to move out of London do I want to have these other kind of conversations those are the kind of things that we are starting to have in our early 30s and those are like you know really um passionate kind of um, conversations so i would say do something that you know consider your happiness and mm. the fact that you could probably be broke for a few months but ultimately yeah. great emma you have our second question for this week what is it yes yeah, so i did a call out on facebook for some um problems this week and a friend of mine emailed obviously i will keep this anonymous but she's like i'm with this guy they've been together quite a while now and she's like the thing is when we're in the bedroom it doesn't feel very equal i.e she's doing quite she's quite adventurous in the bedroom she likes doing lots of different things he's not so adventurous and he's there's benefiting some, he's benefiting yes yes mm. and she's like how do i how do i tackle this because you know you don't want to kind of emasculate a man in the bedroom but equally sounds like he needs whipping into shape <laughs> <laughs> need to get ours right so i think this is really interesting because i do think like communication in sex is the most important thing and we are generally all really terrible at it and we're really bad at it so last weekend i was actually on a course called intimacy which is all about having creative intimate conversations with the people in your life and that might be people that you're having sexual relationships with might just be your friends your family but how do we have more intimate relationships and the thing that was really became really clear to me was that I'm really good at being intimate with my close friends and that's fine. But sex, that's like my powerful place. That's where I'm like, right, I get to do what I want and this is great for me. And I'm not very good at like opening up and having those conversations with other people. And actually one of the things I learned was it's about taking a time out and being like, okay, let's set aside some time to talk to each other about this. And I get to talk for a certain amount of time and you just listen. And then you talk and I just listen. And there is no judgment. There's no judgment on what either of us say. It's just where we are and what we need to express. And then the other thing is learning how to express what you want. And it turns out that's really easy. You just say... <laughs> is it though? It is. is it? Okay. You just say... Stop. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Where did you get off? Yeah, exactly. I, I'm Please. with you. Yeah. Who, who was doing that? Stop it. <laughs> but it is. You just say... You've got the option to say yes, no, or maybe. And you can say yes, no, or maybe. And it's nothing to do with me. But what I want is X. And like, accept the answer. It's really interesting because I'm working on a book and it's the vagina dialogue to the monologue. So I'm talking to a lot of women about their first orgasms, not just about sex. And it's really interesting how a lot of women are powerful, get like, you know, go so submissive and just can't say anything when it comes to sex. And um, I think in the era of um, sexting, a lot of that kind of relationship and those kind of conversations have been lost. So I think one of the things that I would always recommend to my friends is, or to guys, if they start sending me messages, I'm like, stop, this is not, this is not how you have a conversation. This is not what, like, you know, starting a relationship is. So I think it's about being honest and just say, this is what the foundation is. And um, and also the fact that there's nothing wrong with breaking up with somebody just because they're bad in bed. I think that's one of the most depressing you, things in the world. 
think you can train people. I've always been like, I'm, you know. It depends on how old they are. If you're 15, <laughs> between 15 and 25, maybe beyond that, it's like, really? good luck. You yeah. think no? Yeah. Hmm. I'm just got a whole thing about the world, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. I probably have, no, I'm, I'm with Nimco. I think you wouldn't have a bad meal consistently every and night. And pay for it. Yeah, and pay for it. Hang on, I'm not paying for sex. No, but you're paying for it with your time. Exactly. And you're there. Okay. There's a cost value there. Um, <laughs> so why would you continue to have bad sexual or intimacy experiences? And I came to this very late in, in my life, i.e. in my 30s. I was like, actually, it's just not worth it. If the sex isn't great, I am not staying. I'm not hanging around for this because but, I want amazing experiences in my life all the time. But, yeah, but what if you haven't... So for me, and I understand that, but for me, I'm like, if the sex isn't great and then I leave, that's me avoiding a conversation. As opposed to actually sitting down and being like, you know what? We are in this relationship together. We should be able to express what is good for us and what is not so good for us and what we need. Because if we can't do that in the bedroom, we're not going to be able to do it anywhere else. Well, I'm going to say, so I think you get a sense of what the potential of that conversation is it with the people that you're you're dating and so fair enough I haven't met someone where I see value in having that conversation but I do I think as women we can't we downplay mm. our needs or we just don't consider them so I love the fact you went to this course but it's so important yeah I'm such a geek I'm like oh I need to learn something I know I'll go on a course <laughs> and I do and I get genuinely upset if I'm not the best person on the course <laughs> and I wasn't <laughs> I'm not an A-star student um, right so our final question of the week which I think is a really topical one this week and it came from a friend of mine and I and I really feel it as well and she was like look I am not a massively political person but I'm engaged with the news and I care about it but it is just too much for me I can't talk about it anymore how do I deal with that and how do I talk about that with my friends when all they want to do is what talk about what's going on in the news at the moment and I we discussed this a bit because actually I noticed that this week we haven't really talked about he who shall not be named and the current political climate that much because I think we need a bit of space don't mm. we ladies Emma what do you think yeah well I think I was getting like this it was all just like white noise it was all over every single news feed every single conversation that you've had and I started to kind of just block it out a bit like unconsciously and I read an article on the way to the studio today that was actually like that is the worst thing that we can do because there's almost like a media tactic going on where they bombard us with loads of news stories you start to not take any notice and then that's when stuff happens without people reacting to it because it's just not on people's radar so uh, that was a real wake up call for me to actually start noticing and trying to shift through and see where my news sources are coming from Mm. I think Nimco how is it for you because obviously it's your world yeah I think I think um, get a dark sense of humour and be very sarcastic because one of the things is like I've having seen Civil War as a child um, like you know the campaign around FGM and everything else is that I'm very conscious about a lot of the horrible things that are happening out there and I know the social responsibilities that we have but at the same time you can't let it consume you and I think it's just like you have to be very flippant about things but be very serious and I think we as British people and the Irish are very good at sarcasm and the Americans unfortunately are not that's why I don't mm. date them anymore <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so I think I think really just kind of taking that context of because I'm really like you know there is this kind of and that's what you do in PR you actually put the dead um, cat on the table and people are like why have you put a dead what is going on and then they do everything else behind your backs so we shouldn't ignore and we shouldn't switch off but we should find a way of coping with it and if that's going to that new um, website which just kind of posts memes taking the mick out of Trump just do that but I think um, yeah time out is good but at the same time I think just try to laugh in the face of a lot of ridiculous things and that kind of pisses people off yeah Nat do you think it's about finding a bit of balance or having a blackout what is it I was just about to say this so we've said this before on the show there are certain news sources where I consume my information and I try not to consume too much just generally so now we're on the radio I listen to a bit of radio I look across a broad spectrum of, of, of newspapers and I'm digging a bit more so I'm not going for the hysteria stories. I'm digging, you know, so I'm reading the New York Times or, or Post or, or reading longer form analysis. But for each thing I do that c- consumes a bit of my brain, I do something leisurely. So last night I went dancing to grime <laughs> and I they were like, North Weezy in the house. And I was like, Woo! <laughs> that was my diffusion. So make time to diffuse all of this stuff that's being thrown at you. This is my my tactic. And then go dance it off or Prosecco it off or whatever <laughs> it off you need. <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we're all thinking it, Emma, but thanks <laughs> for saying sorry. it. Sorry. <laughs> 
So we are going to say goodbye to our amazing guest now, Nimco Ali. Thank you so much for joining us. Like we said, next week is the day around campaigning against FGM. Is there anything else that we could be doing or any other resources that we should know about? Um, there's an amazing um, young organisation called, well, young people-led organisation called Integrate UK and they're amazing, so follow them and support their video, which is called My Clitoris. So that's really powerful, the fact that they're doing that. And then on International Women's Day, um, Wealth and Forest are having an amazing event um, called Hub Dot, which is about getting women to come and tell their stories. And that's going to be amazing. It's not specifically around FGM, but it's about giving women platforms and that's what's been amazing about my campaign is about having women and being able to talk about my own experience brilliant thank you very much and thank you for joining us and we will be back after this break to you talk about our backdated badass for the week a woman from history that you absolutely have to know about and this one has one of like just the most amazing adventure stories i love her so join me natalie campbell and emma sexton again here on talk radio for the badass women's hour Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome back to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm here with my co-hosts Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And we are talking about a backdated badass, a woman from history that you should really know more about. This week's backdated badass has a little bit of a Jane Bond feel to her, I think. And she is, I think, an absolute heroine who achieved more than actually a lot of men in her field. Nat, do you want to tell us a little bit more about her? Yeah, I loved reading the profile on her. It's like watching a movie. We are celebrating Noor Khan today. Khan was a wartime British secret agent of Indian descent and she was also the first female radio operator sent into Nazi-occupied France by the Special Operations Executive. Uh, She was arrested and eventually she was executed by the Gestapo. But in between that, she just had the most fascinating life. I mean, if we put some some colour around this, her codename was Madeleine. And her sort of radio encryption code was derived from one of her poems. So she started off her career actually writing children's stories in Paris. And she brought through a lot of what she learned in her earlier career into her sort of triple... Spy her spy life. A lot of her stories are about sort of the way she used to change her appearance and become these different people. And I feel that was her living out her, her storybooks and all of these poems. I love that fact that we found about her, which is that um, she changed her appearance nearly every single day yeah can you imagine i can barely decide what to wear (laughs) (laughs) but again it's it's the beauty of you know think about this woman sashaying down the street saving people's lives sending messages and you know black hair one day with a red lip this is me dramatizing the whole thing (laughs) you know blonde hair another day but using these different names and becoming these different people but all for a greater good all to save um save a life i think my most favorite fact is that she had a clumsy style of of more signaling uh, and it was so peculiar that she was named bang away Lulu oh, I love, I love about her because I was just looking I'm always looking at these people I'm like what can I learn from them what can I be inspired by and I think there's something certainly in my head whenever I see people who are just phenomenal at their careers I just think oh well they were clearly just designed to be the perfect fit for that and when you read about her she basically was a bit clumsy there's loads of stuff about how she wasn't actually physically suited to the job like she she didn't really fit in like you know and I yeah just I love the fact that actually she wasn't the perfect spy but she was the ph- a phenomenal spy and I think as women sometimes we get a bit caught up on being the perfect fit for things and uh, she's clearly blagging it love it <laughs> <laughs> and she was actually the other thing I really loved about her she was caught she was caught and she was imprisoned and she escaped and she was caught again but I love that kind of we only ever see do you remember those 1940s kind of escape movies and it's mm. always the guys who get caught and they're always the ones that escape and maybe they rescue a woman and she was like no it is my duty to escape I am getting out of here I loved that. Did you hear what she did as well when she was in prison to let the other prisoners know like who she was? She would like scratch on the bottom of their food bowls. So you'd imagine they'd just be finishing their like <laughs> porridge or soup and they'd be like, oh, okay. It's bang away Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> that element of it's the, it's the creativity which with which she delivered and did her job and the fact that she, even in what must have been absolutely horrid circumstance, still found the time or still found a place of knowing that it was all about freedom. And the sort of one of the key key facts is that her last word, according to one of the other prisoners, um, before she was was shot on the thirteenth of September, nineteen forty four, was that she sh- sh- shouted at the Nazis, "Liberté!" 
And it's that thing of even in this moment of death, I am still free. You will never capture me. And I love, I'd just, I'd love to know more about what her driver was. Like we asked Nimco earlier, you know, what is that thing that, you know, you've got to have a lot of fire in your belly to be able to try and escape from prison. Like she was trying everything. I'd love to know what was like her real like core drive mm. to do all of that. And I think that fire really is for me what makes her a true badass and our backdated badass of the week. Uh, so we're kind of rounding up now, but as ever, before we finish the show, we are going to talk about our badass principle for this week. The principle that we think you should live your life by in the coming seven days. Nat, what is it this week? This week's badass principle is take action. Oh, nice, because they've been quite soft recently, but this feels like a very tough go-getting principle. Well, we've had Nimco Ali on the show today. We've been speaking about Noor Khan, and I feel like we're at that point where it's about action. We need to pick up our tools, put on the boiler suit. I don't know why I'm saying boiler suit. And go out there and fight for what we want. You'd look great in a boiler suit. I know. (laughs) Rosie the Riveter. (laughs) Emma, what is taking action for you this week? I think definitely after speaking to Nimco, there's more stuff that I want to research about around FGM for sure. And just and what part can I play in like helping Nimco's cause? So more education and more awareness, especially with what's going on at the moment. That was lots that came out of the march for me was that actually I need to learn more. I need to educate myself more. I need to have more conversations around these different topics that I feel I, I don't know about. So for me, taking action is about knowledge. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Taking action actually starts from a place of education. And if we could just educate ourselves and know more, we'd all probably then actually want to take more action. So that is our badass principle for this week. We are rounding up. I have been Harriet Minter with my lovely co-host Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow me at Harriet Minter or Nat at Nat D. Campbell and Emma at Emma Sexton. Or you can follow the Badass Women's Hour at Badass Women's Hour HR. That's Badass Women's Hour HR. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. You can find us there. And on the 7th of the 7th of February, we will be having our Badass Women's Hour live event talking about women in the media. And finally, if you've enjoyed our conversation today and you want to keep it going on social media, our hashtag is B-A-W-H, that's Badass Women's Hour, B-A-W-H. Find us there where we'll be picking up all the conversations we've had today and sharing them with you. Thank you for listening to us. This is the Badass Women's Hour on Talk Radio. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.